This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we do what we can to give you the tools, the information you need to grow a healthier, happier life for you and your family. Really, a leg up in this crazy thing we call life. You could just watch the news, but the news doesn't always uh, worry about your life, your needs. Today, we've got a great show for you. Man, a live, wonderful guest will be joining us, Dr. Michael Price. Um, He's going to be talking a little bit about uh, the decline in religion and people, you know, attending church, believing in some, you know, higher power, some higher being. And what's happening is um, a formulation of quasi-religious communities, groups that seem to derive the same benefit from a church, attending a church, but not so religious-oriented. We're going to be talking about that and the impact that's going to have on our lives coming up. Also, holy cow— Happy Make-A-Hat Day. Oh, Oh, wow. Why are you laughing? These are getting better every day. Make-A-Hat Day. You know, you've always wanted to let out that, you know, crazy inner child. Yes, I want to just go knit a hat. You make a hat. Yeah. My family celebrates that every year. Do they really? Yes. On Hat Makers Eve, we all get together and stitch our hats together. You know what, dude? You've got one of the weirdest families I've ever heard of. (laughs) Strange. <laughs> Do they really? It's just sad. I feel so bad for your family. <laughs> anyway, make a hat day and also get ready day. Get ready for the end of the world day. Mm-hmm. Get ready for the problems right. that could eventually come. Mm-hmm. Crazy prepared. weather in Utah. Very, very uh, sad. Eight people dead because of a flash flood. And crazy weather in California. You'll talk about all mm-hmm. of it. Holy cow. I mean... Fires need water. The water's in Utah drowning people, and the fires are burning and destroying homes. California. Very serious, yeah. Crazy time. Mm -hmm. So let's just say Donald Trump makes fun of your face. Let's just say that happened. He lost me on that one. He did. Did I thought that was was very poor. It was the, what, the 50th time he's made fun of somebody, but then... Takes you know, on you can make face. fun of somebody, but personally, personal yeah. attacks to me are just not, I don't know. I he don't was like attacking those. her persona. Right. He kept saying. Uh-huh, uh-huh. However, uh, is your, I think. Is your face your persona? N- not my face. <laughs> Have you seen my face? <laughs> but, you know, what's really cool is, um, so Carly Fiorina, you know, the big, she's in the big debate. That's tomorrow. Right. She'll Can't be wait. standing relatively close to him. Mm-hmm. And. She she did it. She came out and she put together an ad dealing with this face thing. I mean, it's it was it, it was uh-huh. so smart because nobody ever takes on Trump, right? So instead of you know taking on Trump and making fun of his hair, which is what Bobby Jindal did, mm-hmm. calling it squirrel head or whatever, um, <laughs> Carly just put together a really awesome uh, what would you call it? I guess an, an ad. ad. Uh-huh. To, to valuing the faces of women in America and basically saying – basically reinterpreting Trump's comment because the whole, the whole commercial was about women. Right. And this is the face of a woman, the face of a leader. 
I saw it for the first time yesterday. I thought I thought it was very powerful. And you know they're going to ask that question tomorrow oh, night, yeah. and I can't wait. I can't wait to see his reaction and hear her reaction. It'll be great. It's great. Listen to this ad on Clip 7. Ladies, look at this face. And look at all of your faces. The face of leadership. The face of leadership in our party, the party of women's suffrage. The face of leadership in your communities, in your businesses, in your places of work and worship. Ladies, note to Democrat Party. We are not a special interest group. We are the majority of the nation. This is the face. She's awesome. And, you know, during that ad, you see faces of yeah. all kinds of different women around the country. And that's that's what it's about. And notice she's taking on the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. She's not just taking on Republicans. Right. Our Trump specifically. Yeah. As everybody knows. This whole war on women thing, she's taking on that idea. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not a constituency. We are we are the majority. Which is true. It's so yeah, cool. Yeah, it's true. You know what they say about Carly is um, as, a, as a CEO, she had to go take on all of the investor – um, every quarter, the investors would come in and basically pick apart Hewlett Packard. So she had to sit down and be interviewed by people that only care about the stock price. And they would ask everything. Mm-hmm. So I guess apparently she's incredibly ready to take on any question right. about anything at any time. She's been torn down many she times has with been. her uh, business, uh, what she did at Hewlett-Packard oh, for sure. She's, she's had it from all That angles. is yeah. super awesome response. This is what everybody needs to be doing with Donald Trump. Like, instead, you're going to call, if, you know, so if he calls you an idiot, I'm the idiot, and then start throwing it out. Mm-hmm. This is idiotic. And you could make so many great political statements by right. just taking on everything Trump says. Well, what he says, it's just like school schoolyard tactics. It's yeah. bullying. And I think people are getting tired of that. I really do. He's if insecure. You That's to, it. Yeah. If you want to denigrate, you know, uh, what's going on in the workforce or anything right. else in politics, but to take on somebody personally, I think people really don't care for that. No. I think you're right on. And guess what? It's We'll see. But in reality, she now gets to stand side by side. Mm-hmm. And if she can start to show that she's a little more vocal than Carson yeah. and a little less – I mean a little less offensive or a lot less offensive than Trump, she might become the one. But I think she handled it perfectly. She didn't go after Trump personally. Uh, she, everybody knows what he said. Yeah. So by doing that ad, I thought I thought it was brilliant. Well, and let everybody else go after. Exactly. Him. That's right. that's what's uh-huh. going to happen. Yep. Good stuff. So, Those that don't have a chance. Right? That's exactly that right. Well, it's going to be an interesting debate tomorrow. So stick with us. We'll be going through that uh, tomorrow as well. Let's uh, now go to Kathy Aiken, find out what's going on in the headlines around the country. Good morning, everyone. Flash floods in southern Utah have left at least eight people dead and five others remain missing. The victims, all mothers and young children, were in an SUV and a van when they were swept away. The floods came after heavy rains fell in the canyons just north of Hilldale, Utah, and Colorado City, Arizona. Here's Hilldale Assistant Fire Chief Kevin Barlow. Very dangerous, very treacherous. The banks are caving off. A more significant flood than we've had for quite some time. Obviously, it took them off guard. They were well back from where the flood channel usually is. 
Search and rescue teams are scheduled to resume efforts to find the missing this morning. An instructor from Delta State University who allegedly shot and killed his girlfriend and another professor on campus yesterday died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound last night. 45-year-old Shannon Lamb reportedly killed his live-in girlfriend, 41-year-old Amy Prentice, at their home, then drove to the university and shot 39-year-old assistant professor Ethan Schmidt. He pulled off on the side of the road, exited his vehicle, and went into a wooded area. Uh, there was one gunshot that was heard. We don't know why this man did what he did. That was Cleveland, Mississippi Police Chief Charles Bingham. Authorities believe the shootings may have been related to a possible love triangle. The shooting set the entire campus on lockdown but was lifted late last night. Wildfires in Northern California continue to cause major damage. The Valley Fire north of San Francisco, considered one of the most destructive in state history, has leveled entire neighborhoods. One person has died and a number of other people are still unaccounted for. A second blaze known as the Butte Fire was burning southeast of Sacramento where at least 10,000 people have been forced out of their homes. Only 30% of that fire has been contained. Here's firefighter Don Lopez. This is what I do. This is what I love. This is my community. And you don't, you just have to, you just, there's no other word for it. You just have to keep going. The person who died was a 72-year-old disabled woman who reportedly called for help but could not be reached because her subdivision was already engulfed in flames. California Governor Jerry Brown linked the fires to climate change. Hungary declared a state of emergency today, shutting its borders to migrants. The move paves the way for the country to deploy the army to the border with Serbia in order to stop the flow of those entering its borders. The move also speeds up the court process for those seeking asylum. Nearly 200,000 refugees fleeing the Middle least Africa and Asia have entered Hungary from Serbia this year. And I'm sure you saw this map, but NBC has announced Donald Trump's replacement for Celebrity <laughs> Prentice. Are oh, you yeah. ready? Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh. Yeah, the actor and former California governor. Uh, is going to take over. The show's producer, Mark Burnett, said Governor Schwarzenegger will use his vast and highly successful business, political, and media experience mm. to drive this hit franchise to new Hold heights. on. Aren't we using mixed messages? Doesn't Donald say, you'll fire? Yeah, yeah. And so then he's like, I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be back. No, but you're fired. No, I'll be back. <laughs> No, you're so, fired. So that's what, that's what Arnold's going to say at the end when he it's fires so somebody. Confusing. Yeah, what's he going to say? Get out of my face. I will you crush know, you. I will crush you. I lived in his hometown for three months. You did? Yeah, there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger museum. How do you say it in German? Like Arnold in your, Schwarzenegger. Ar- say it again. Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger. No, that's wrong. That's not how That doesn't it. sound right. <laughs> that stands too authentic. We want to say it the American way. Schwarzenegger. Oh, okay. Fine. You live there, huh? Do, yeah. Do they just – is that Austria? Where? Where yeah, so that? it's it's um, eastern Austria. Mm. Say it one more time. Schwarzenegger. Mm. Schwarzenegger. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do you ever watch that show? Did no. you watch the show? No. no. Yeah, I haven't And if I hear Donald Trump say, you know, it's one of the best, highest rated shows of the world, I I'm going the best to go g- berserk. I think they ever had. <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be – I wish I had just a, just a fourth of his confidence. Wouldn't that be oh, nice? Yeah, but yeah. it's not real. You don't think it's real? No. You know it's not real because the minute you push on it, uh-huh. he's all prickly and freaks out. So if out. you have to keep saying it, I guess you're not. Anybody that, that has is? to say they're that yeah. great is not confident. Confident people know they're great. Yeah. They don't have to keep reinforcing something they know. Yeah. That's but a good point. People that lack confidence have to keep, keep reinforcing it. it. That's why I always talk about my abs. Yeah. Because I'm not confident I have one. <laughs> if, I, if I could just find one ab, I'd have to quit mentioning it. 
I'm going to keep talking about it until an ab appears right here on my table. What is that? That's my ab. I'm going to leave it for Ron Hager later today. Ron, is this an ab to you? <laughs> We're going to get that. Hey, we got to get that on Periscope. Let's get, let's get that on Periscope. Uh, Ron Hager checking my, my belly to see if he found an ab. I'm not sure anybody wants. <laughs> wants what? Don't be rude. You don't be rude. Just because you can say Arnold Schwarzenegger's name right doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. Not to be rude. Oh, you look so sad now. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Michael Priest, or Price, Priest, by the way, that's my father-in-law. Dr. Michael Priest will be joining us. Dr. Michael Price will be joining us. He is. Um, he has been studying the evolution of moral beliefs. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, people are becoming less religious, which is going to have moral implications. He's going to walk us through what's going to happen to communities as church attendance and, you know, religious following decreases. Stick with us, folks. Interesting subject coming up about the importance of community and religion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Research has shown that the religious uh, that religious people, because of extensive support and a sense of community it provides, typically live healthier, longer lives. However, religious involvement is at the lowest it has ever been, with more and more people opting for a more secular or alternative type of uh, worship in their lives. And uh, we, they call these mono-religious communities, and they're on the decline. So exactly where does that leave the world today? What kind of adaptation is needed in our lives to provide a sense of community? Joining us is Dr. Michael uh, Price, and Dr. Price is a senior lecturer in psychology at Brunel University in London. He's the co-director of the Brunel Center for Culture and Evolutionary Psychology. Dr. Michael Price, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. So great to have you. And this is, to me, such an interesting bit of research. Um, you are an evolutionary psychologist. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And, and so, so talk to us about uh, some of your work. Your, your goal was to basically see how, I guess, how our moral beliefs and our moral uh, views, I guess, religious views even, um, how we evolve in that type of thinking. Talk, talk about some of your, your latest research and, and how you're, what you think is going to go on as fewer and fewer people maybe are actively involved in religious communities? Sure, yeah. Um, well, I mean, as an evolutionary psychologist, I approach the, the issue of uh, religious-type communities, um, thinking about the types of environments in which humans evolved. And these are very small-scale hunter-gatherer communities um, where maybe um, you know, 50 to 100 people um, intergenerational communities, they're all living together and um, sharing the same, the same small territory. Um, and so very small-scale, intimate, face-to-face -face communities where a lot of um, social support and opportunities to interact um, all throughout the day and to cooperate and, mm. and get help and share food and um, really, really intimate, you know, small-scale yeah. 
where you're, where you're living with your families and very, very different than the types of isolated um, social communities uh, we have today. So um, approaching it from that perspective um, and then looking at so for, so for centuries, we've had religious communities that have sort of um, served this, this cultural function that, that hunter-gatherer societies used to serve for people. Um, but as you know, these are really on the decline and religiosity is really on the decline. So the yeah. question is, how can we get those, those, those types of very social support, socially supportive communities back into people's lives um, and solve some of the, the health problems and m mental and physical health problems and, and senses of um, social isolation and declining social capital and declining trust in societies. Um, how can we get that back? So that's, that's the approach that I'm taking ah, to the problem. It really is. Um, it seems like we, we, we don't even know quite what we're missing. I mean, these hunter-gatherer communities, you know, we're kind of tribal, I guess. We, we would sit in circles and our you know, the seniors, the elders of the group would hand down their wisdom and the teachings. There'd be, a, I'm assuming, a high sense of accountability to each other. And I guess as we're moving away from that type of uh, that type of setting, do, do, is there a moral decline? Is there a less of a handing down of the wisdom and the traditions? And is there a moral decline or is it just, you know, kind of more of a community social decline? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you hit on some really important aspects of what these communities, their, their functions that they're fulfilling in people's lives. I mean, I think whether there is a general moral decline in society, I mean, that's that sort of depends on your your moral outlook. Um, but I do think what's what what we do lose um, with with these types of communities, religious or quasi-religious communities, is it's a place where people go with with um, to share values and agree on what their values are and sort of agree on what it means to be a good person. To, to lead a good life, yeah, um, and that's something special um, that religious communities have traditionally provided people. And you say, well, we have other kinds of communities in modern life. We have, you know, you, you, people have their friends, and they can be on sports teams, and they can go to book clubs, right. and, um, political political groups, and there's all these other kinds of social groups and social networks that people can form. But none of those really focus on moral uh, morality and 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 ethical teachings and what it takes to be a good person and that's really at the heart of i think what 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 we're when i talk about um religious community and secular community there are there are sort of secular substitutes that that um or at least that try and try and be substitutes for religious life like like humanism and, and other groups yeah um that i've studied like the sunday assembly um so that's one thing that that that's that's missing, I think, and that that we are losing with the decline of religion is some kind of moral center, and then also um, uh, you also you touch on the intergenerational aspect. Uh huh. Yeah, your your parents, your grandparents. Absolutely, they don't. With the decline of religious religiosity, you don't have those kinds of places where different generations can come together. Um, you know, um, children and parents and grandparents and whole families. Um, and I, so I think that's that's something else that you can't just get from any other kind of social organization. Mm. Do you see this? Is this a Western phenomenon? What it, What's going on in Asia, in the Eastern cultures? It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, some of the most um, non-religious societies are actually Asian, um, especially China and Japan and South Korea and Vietnam. Um, and then some of the most religious societies are also more Middle Eastern. Mm -hmm. um, so th th there are there are some cultures that are maintaining really really high uh, rates of religiosity, and those tend to be um, African Muslim and Sub-Saharan African um, and Islamic countries. Uh, but it's it is a worldwide. If you don't if you it, 
um, aside from those nations, it's, it's a fairly um, consistent worldwide phenomenon, this decline of religiosity. You see it throughout the West, um, and you see it in those Asian countries I mentioned. Um, and America, the United States has traditionally been a, a big outlier in terms of maintaining really high levels of religiosity compared to other wealthy democracies. Yeah. Um, but you see, you know, it, it's declining there certainly as well. What do you um, see? So what think, What do you see as the outcome? Like, what What's happening with this decline, and I, I guess the increase in um, in uh, quasi, I guess, religious communities? Is there what What decline do you see happening? What is the the negative impact on us as people? Well. From my perspective, I'm really interested in um, non-religious sort of secular communities that can serve some of the same functions um, uh, that religious communities have traditionally served. And I think for people who – I think there's a lot of people out there who who really like a lot of aspects of religion but just aren't interested in sort of the supernatural aspects Mm -hmm. of of religious belief. And so very committed to – a naturalistic view of the world and very appreciative of the need for community and sort of a moral right. uh, centeredness um, and the need for cultural traditions and rituals and intergener- different generations getting together and, and strong, having strong sources of social support. Um, so I am really interested in the extent to which non-religious sources of community could step up here and, and function and serve some of these, these, these functions for people. Um, and the two kind of groups that I've looked at it, and I'm also looking at with with, with collaborators. Um, one kind are these kinds of quasi-religious groups. So, like the humanists um, have 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 tried to um, have congregation type uh, meetings that get together um, sometimes every week, sometimes once a month. Um, and then there's a group here in London called the Sunday Assembly, which is essentially just trying, really trying to. Take all the things about religious that religion, traditional religions that um, provide those benefits for people's lives, but just without that supernatural element. Yeah. And I've been collecting data with the Sunday Assembly for the past six months. Um, so, you, and you do mention, I mean, there is there is good evidence that religious people, especially people who regularly attend religious services, they have more satisfying lives. Um, they, they report higher uh, life satisfaction. They they don't get depressed as much, um, and they're healthier. They live longer. So, religion <laughs> that, is. That's yeah, to me. That's it, I mean, that's it, fantastic it, that you that just simply you know aggregating, talking, having a belief system that you can talk about you know, decreases depression and helps you live longer. Are you seeing similar results in um, kind of the quasi groups that you're evaluating? Yeah, that's a great question. That's exactly the type of type of thing we want to know. So that's the, the kind of data we're You're on the cutting edge have. of that right now. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. Um, we're, we're just wrapping up this study, but that is the kind of data that we're collecting. And there have been quite a few studies of, um, I mean, it's a big public health issue, so yeah. a lot of... Um, doctors and social scientists have wanted to, to to study these positive health benefits of religion, and what they have consistently found is, as as you note, um, it really has to do with the social network and the social support and those regular interactions with this um, community of people who you trust and who 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 care about you. 
um, that's really important for people. And I, and you know, when you don't have it, it's sort of like you don't know what what you're missing. So I feel oh, like yeah. there's probably a lot of people out there in the world who don't have this in their lives, but that could really benefit from it. Um, you know, it's, it is fascinating. We in fact we just had a researcher from Brigham Young University on talking about loneliness and just the impact loneliness has is like being alone or 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 um, actually being uh, you know away from people or kind of antisocial has the same impact on you physically as smoking like 15 cigarettes a day. Exactly it, right. Just it, loneliness. Every bit as serious, every bit as, as much of a health risk as smoking mm. or, or other things that we commonly think of as, as serious health problems like obesity and substance abuse. Yeah. Every bit as, as serious. Well, uh, there was a big study done at, Bring, at BYU, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. No, exactly. The, yeah. In fact, um, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Michael Price about the impact uh, of the public health benefits of, uh, of b- both kind of religious and quasi-religious communities, secular communities, at creating a cohesiveness and a, a sense of community, a sense of belonging. As more and more people are uh, kind of moving away from organized religion, uh, where, where is this going to go? And how can people still derive the benefits of of connecting morally with one another, um, maybe even in a secular way. We're talking about that more when we come back. Dr. Michael Price, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone is Dr. Michael uh, Price, and he is he is a researcher and a senior lecturer in psychology at Brunel University in London. He's also the co-director of the Brunel Center for Culture and Evolutionary Psychology. He received his Ph.D. Uh, from Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara Center for Evolutionary Psychology back in the day. And he's now here um, just informing us about some of his research that he's doing on quasi-religious secular communities. So lots of great research that has been going on about um, religion and the impact religion can have to help uh, you know people live longer and, and, and feel healthier, I guess, in their lives. But uh, fewer and fewer people are now attending kind of uh, these more, I guess, regimented, strict religious kind of groups. So uh, Dr. Michael Price is helping us understand what is the impact long term and uh, and are there other quasi groups that could facilitate this camaraderie, this brothership, this fellowhood? I don't know what you call it, uh, Dr. Price, but welcome back to the show. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah, um, yeah. As you mentioned, there, we do have this big decline in religiosity um, in, in many parts of the world, um, and fewer people attending religious um, meetings. But but as they become and as they become less religious, it's not like they're switching to secular forms of community. Right. They're just they're they're just sort of dropping out altogether. So the question is, what could replace uh, religion in these people's lives? Um, and that's that's one of the things we're, we're wondering um, is could there be 
um, say, humanistic substitutes, secular substitutes, where so, so many, many studies, or, or there have been really a couple of big meta-analyses of many studies that have shown that, so what is it about being religious that has all these health benefits? Well, it's regular um, attendance at these meetings. It's the social support. So it's nothing about religion per se. It's not, say, depth of, of religious feeling um, or um, level of, of, of commitment to religious belief per se. It's, it's, it's really having the regular social action with a real social interaction with a very supportive community. So it seems like, you know, in theory, we might be able to, to give people those things, even if, they, if, if they're not religious, in, in secular settings. Does it matter? Um, and if the, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Michael. Go ahead. Yeah. So, well, I. So the question is then, why do people get together? It's a bit odd for some people to sort of get together just to be together. Uh-huh. The nice thing about religion is it does give you this, uh, you know, moral framework. It gives you this um, sort of cosmological framework yeah. of understanding the universe and, and a bigger and picture. Yeah. Framework. That's yeah, that's yeah. what I was wondering. Is does it? It seems like it's one thing. I mean, I could get together with a, a really good group of mountain bikers and we all go mm-hmm. climb the mountain and we do it every week and you know then we get up there and we eat lunch and we support each other but i wonder uh-huh. if does it have does that type of community have the same impact on me as one that has a moral side to it maybe where we are connecting to nature or connecting to a bigger and have discussions about the bigger purpose of life or a sense of morality or whatever. Is there a difference? Well, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, I think the key things that those sorts of, I mean, you, know, you might have a great time mountain biking and yeah. you really enjoy your time with your friends and very meaningful experience. But, but what you're not getting, as you say, it's that you don't get that the moral centering. You don't get um, the, the focus on what it means to lead a good life and be a good person and make a positive difference in the world. Right. You don't get that intergenerational aspect. You don't get um, that ri- really rich sources of cultural meaning. So like you'd get from rituals, say, to, yeah. you know, another thing religion provides people that's very, very important are these ceremonies that um, commemorate the most important events in people's lives and, and often very solemn, serious events like, like funerals, you know, yeah. Um, and very and dealing with really traumatic events when when life gets really really difficult, um, so that's something else that religion provides that just any old group won't provide. Um, and in the sense of the sacred and of what's the most important you know aspects of of one's life, um, so that's 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 a really important issue is how do you get that when religion has been providing that for people mm-hmm. for centuries. Um, how how do how can you just come up with a substitute for that? And 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 there are efforts that that are being made. So there are humanist um, ceremonies, humanist rituals. So a, a couple of weeks ago, I had a great interview with Greg Epstein, who's the actually the humanist chaplain at Harvard University. Um, so at Harvard, there's a handful of universities that actually have humanist chaplains, along with um, you know Protestant chaplains and Catholic chaplains and, and Jewish or what have you. Um, so so he's he is um, organizing this very active humanist community at Harvard that really functions like a religious community. It provides rituals. You can get married. You can have birth naming ceremonies hmm. and funerals. Um, and they meet um, every Sunday, you know, like a church would. So they're really striving to, to provide the sorts of, of community that have traditionally been provided by religions. And judging from, you know, his experiences, it's it's been it's been pretty successful, pretty impressive. And it's probably, there. I guess, for many, it would feel more inclusive because it's not 
maybe as dogmatic or it's not as doctrine focused as it is just service human focused. Absolutely, it's it's very it's very inclusive. Um, it's a very humanism is is a great example. So if we're just talking about them. Um, in terms of their their ideology and their philosophy, it's very very simple. It's really about you know how do you understand the universe, and they say basically it's just reason and science. Mm. And then how do you treat other people, and it emphasizes compassion and inclusivity. Um, so pretty pretty simple doctrine, um, but it it seems to go a long way for people. And the other advantage I think of of that kind of humanistic approach is it's it can be very future oriented because as you say it's not it's not real dogmatic and it's not real rooted in tradition yeah it's not so past oriented yeah exactly and that can be a great way to bring people together you know i mean cultural identities and heritage that can be a great thing but can also really you know tear people it can really sort of divide people right and yeah we still see wars that are being fought because of traditions of the past thousand years Right. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Or devotion to say the Confederate flag in the South would be right. another example. That's a great example. Um, and then, like here in the in the U.S., in fact, in the West, the whole Burning Man phenomenon mm-hmm. just seems like a, it's a pretty good example of a group of people that are looking to have some fellowship, some camaraderie, some sense of religiosity, and then you know, experience time to be with each other. But so there, it seems like there's a hunger for it. Absolutely, I, I think there really is. And um, this other this group that I've been studying here in London, they're called the Sunday Assembly, and they just started. In it's only been about two and a half years. They started in London, um, and they really rapidly spread all over the world because they've just tapped into t- tapped into something that, like you say, there is this hunger for it. Um, and I think a lot of people crave it and they're looking for it, but they just don't know quite where to find it. Mm. What do you um, and so I think yeah. do you sense religion? Sorry, yeah. I mean, I was just going to think like the Pope's coming to the United States, and um, you know he's getting a lot of flack as being too liberal in the Catholic Church, and yet so many people love him, and it seems like you know, kind of even in a secular way, you can appreciate a lot of what he says and what he does. Is there is there a place do you sense for more traditional religions? to to make space in their organization for kind of this softer approach this less yeah, I think, uh, dogmatic approach i think i think to some extent there is um and i think yeah i think that's what we're seeing with with pope francis and um and as as you know and i mean it does come up with opposition and no, sure. conflict between the conservatives but i think he's proving that there is there is a place for that um and there's there's been other examples. So um, you know, humanists humanism is a movement that really evolved out of the Unitarian Church. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an example of of a church that sort of became progressively uh, sort of um, kept loosening up more and more in terms of adherence to traditional doctrine. Um, and there have been I mean a long history of, of of those kinds of religious movements. I mean the Quakers are, are another example of. Um, how how uh, strains of Protestant Christianity evolved into something that was pretty inclusive, and so Quakers now, you know, some of them feel like they're Christians, others really don't. Other other some Quakers um, don't believe in God, and it's it's pretty accommodating to all kinds of uh, points of view because mm-hmm. it emphasizes fellowship, it emphasizes morality and being a good person. 
Um, but it's not real strict when it comes to – I mean, that, uh, Quakers think that's one reason why their religion has persisted um, when so many other similar types of religions that sprung up in the 17th century have, have fallen by the wayside is because it's, they've been so adaptable and accommodating um, and, and flexible in that way. It's uh, it's also interesting. I'm pretty sure it was the Quakers that um, they used to have – these uh, they're they're big in um, community and big kind of in in just the ability to uh, or they call them clearing committees. Have you ever have you ever studied those, Michael? You, Not so there's much, some no. really interesting research about um, clearing committees where if I think I'm pretty sure it's the Quakers where they if they have an issue that they need to resolve and there's there's something that they want to do in their life and figure out how how it could apply and they want to be able to use the wisdom of their elders they would call a clearing council or a clearing committee where they would bring a lot of their a lot of their senior leaders into a room with the person that has the question and that that senior leadership wouldn't be dogmatic they wouldn't preach all they could do is ask open-ended questions that would make yeah. the person explore the opportunity and it was just a way for the the elders to uh, to make sure that the right questions were being asked for the person to explore, and then at the end they would be able to clear their head and find their answer. So there's oh, something really so valuable about community and helping yeah. us, you know, see through our lives clearly instead of just always trying to force us or influence us to be some way. Let us help us yeah. find the way by asking the right questions. In that in that intergenerational aspect too, yeah, sort of, of the wisdom of the that's that's so important too, as, as as we discussed earlier. I mean, one one other aspect of this whole issue that I I, I should have mentioned is, um, it's not just these kind of congregational communities, sort of religious or quasi-religious communities. There's also um, what's what are called intentional communities, or sometimes it's called co-housing, where people are trying to recapture that co-residential aspect of, mm. of, of hunter-gatherer life. So they're actually, instead of living in isolated um, subdivisions and, and isolated nuclear family homes, they're actually building communities that, that are more designed for communal eating spaces and more commons areas where everybody's kids can play together and where you're more likely to interact with your neighbors and cooperate with your neighbors. Um, and so this is another, this co-housing movement that started in, in Denmark um, in Scandinavia in the 60s, and now it's, it's spread uh, widely throughout Europe and the United States. That's another way that people, yeah. a fairly radical way, because it, it really requires big changes in your lifestyle and um, it's another way that people are trying to, to get more of this, this really authentic community into their lives. We are hungry for it, it seems like, aren't we? Just that connection again. Absolutely. Talk uh, as we wrap this up. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Michael Price, who's a senior lecturer in psychology at Brunel University, London. Um, Michael, as we wrap this up, what, what can we do just as everyday people, citizens, whether we you know, are religious followers or not, what can we do to maybe make sure that we're more open and creating a, a more open, hospitable community? Well, I think, I mean, one thing that really interferes with people's ability to, to find these kinds of communities in everyday life is just the amount of time, how busy we are and how much time we have to spend working. And and we're not working, you know, we're often, if we have families, we're, we're devoted to them. 
Um, and I think just trying to carve out that time where we, where, you know, even if it's just a couple of hours on a Sunday to interact with people and, and seek out these sources of community, um, whether it's a traditional religious community as it, as it is for a lot of people. Um, but it, you could look into whether there's a Sunday assembly in your area or a humanist group, if you're more interested in a, in a more humanistic, um, way of life. Um, so I would say seek out these communities if they're not there. Um, look into starting one. Yeah. Look, look for like-minded people. Looking, look into starting one of your own. Um, I think probably co-housing and that sort of those residential intentional communities might be too radical a step for for a lot of people. But right. just just talking about a couple hours every every Sunday just to get started uh, with the kind of community that 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 it's not just not just fellowship and time with friends, but really um, supplies a kind of common um, values and a common way of understanding the universe and the kinds of things that religion has traditionally provided. Um, seek those out, and if they're not there, um, look into starting your own. Yeah, lead it. And, I mean, again, like bring like-minded people together and, and open it up. I think, that's, I think that's powerful. Dr. Michael Price, we appreciate you again uh, and, and your interesting work there at uh, Brunel University. I'm telling you, folks, it's, uh, it's, it's so interesting how we crave, we just crave this desire to be connected to other people and uh, to get back to our, our roots. Um, there's something so powerful. Uh, for some, it's found in religion and in religious, you know, kind of organizations. For others, it can just be found in nature when you can connect to the moral side and the bigger picture of what life's about. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break, come back, do a little uh, Coach's Corner to wrap up this uh, this segment, folks, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's such an interesting phenomenon, what's going on with all of these you know, people becoming less and less religious and yet having such a need, such a need uh, for connection, right? And for even connection to a higher power or a higher purpose, connection to nature. I mean, I, I really truly believe that's what you see with all of these movements of, um, you know, animal rights and veganism and um, just every type of appreciation of life. And of nature, it's it, there's a deeper belief, I think, in all of us. Now, I personally uh, believe in a God and use that as an organizing kind of principle of my life. And I found that, it's, you know, some don't. And yet I, I can still accept your ideas and accept what you're saying and still find space to allow you into my views, we don't always have to build walls to push everyone out. There is incredible value in being a member of a congregation, if especially if the congregation is if it's steeped and deeply believing in principles of acceptance and love and service, which if you think about it, most religion or religious organizations should be leading with their love, right? Not leading with ways to to you know get you out of their community we should be finding ways to get you into the community at whatever level you want to be at for now um it's it's really interesting how we work as human beings to 
find ways to exclude you. I'm reminded of some research I did uh, in my graduate studies by a a guy named um, Patrick DeMare. And um, he he basically did some research on – in World War II, all of these soldiers were were having these traumatic World War II kind of war events where they'd see carnage and death and mayhem and – these 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 men needed help. They needed therapy, but there weren't enough therapists to just sit down one by one and start talking to these gentlemen. So they'd start putting them in groups, and these groups would would talk, and and they'd every night they'd sit together and be able to process and create a sense of fellowship, a sense of brotherhood in what was going on, and it was the group that ended up becoming healing. And there was a word that they kept using from the Greeks that is the word, the word is called koinonia, and literally translated, it simply means communion, joint participation, the share which one has in anything, participation, a gift jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution. Many times what ends up being so healing in religious settings, I believe, is A, the religious doctrine can be, your belief in a God and a higher power that's loving and is there for you. That can give strength. Also, what is healing is just the fact that you are part of a communion. You're part of a group that all can share your existence and your power with each other. And so, again, whatever your beliefs you can still allow space to let people into your lives to create more communion. If your neighbors don't want to believe what you believe, you can still let them in. I had a, a, a friend, a client, who um, had a neighbor across the street that had a dream about this friend's husband and brought over seven rose bushes to plant because she thought that the man was special. And it was it was a it was a religious offering from a completely different religious perspective, and the guy just rejected it. Like I'm not I'm not going to plant rose bushes because this lady says I, it's a religious thing for her. <sighs> Bigger circles. We need to let more people into our lives and be confident in what we believe. And when we're confident in what we believe, then we can create some communion. I don't need to convince you of what I believe. I can make space for you. You know. I think that's what God would do. He'd just let you into the circle. And then love you. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll come back next hour. More ideas, more tools. Next hour, we'll be talking marriage, by the way. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the Human Project. We're trying to figure out how to help you live this crazy thing called life. And not even just live it, you know, but live it with other people. Wouldn't life be so much easier if you could just do it alone? <laughs> we think that, and yet, holy cow, it's, uh, yet all of us are still striving to get married, to find people that we can trust. Ah, 
fact, that'll be one of our topics today by Dr. Anne Brennan Malek will be joining us. She's going to be talking about marriage in modern life, why it works, when it works. So we'll be getting to her uh, in just a few minutes, be able to uh, talk about, you know, because people are marrying later. Does it still work? Is it still, you know, a, a, a way to create a healthy life? We'll be getting into that. Also, man, holy cow. I don't know what to do anymore. These these candidates are driving me crazy. Mike Huckabee, did you hear what he said? He's driving me batty. Republican presidential candidate Mike Huckabee told an audience at the conservative Eagle Forum. So remember, he's speaking to the most conservatives among us. A conference over the weekend that the Syrian refugees are seeking that are seeking asylum in the U.S. could be people who have nefarious purposes for wanting to be here. And question their true motivation. Are they really escaping tyranny or are they escaping are, are they escaping poverty or are they really just coming because we've got cable TV? You're a monster. <laughs> when you watch the video of people running through cornfields doing everything they can to not die or uh, floating across the water with a baby in his hands. I'm pretty sure he's not floating with his baby's life in jeopardy to get here for cable TV. Did he really say that? Yeah. He really said cable TV. Are they really coming here to escape tyranny? Are they escape or are escaping poverty? Or are they really just coming because we've got TV? The former governor of Arkansas asked. He said, "I don't mean to be trite, but I just I just was. I'm I'm just saying we don't know. Well, we do know why they're coming because they're under siege. Their their life is horrible. They're being shot, killed. We will send some assistance. Assistance, he says. You know, he wants to see all the refugees go to Saudi Arabia." We will send some assistance through our charitable organizations and our, you know, so they can get some hospitals and schools. We will design the curriculum for those schools. They won't be madrasas to teach terrorism. Okay, sure. And by golly, you will not get cable television. Thank you, children. This ad brought to you by Mike Huckabee. (laughs) I don't know. I just look at these people like, well, it makes sense. Here's another story that seems to parallel the same type of thinking. Humans uh, are, are are worried humans may accidentally, as we go, finally have a chance. So like let's say a spaceship, not even – let's just say we can communicate with aliens from outer space. We've got to be careful when we do communicate with aliens that we don't infect them with a virus. Let's join together and work to put together a message that we as Americans can send to the rest of the world so as not to infect them with viruses, with spam, with bugs. Let's not ruin the world or the universe. Thank you for that music. You can take your hand off your heart now. Holy cow. All of a sudden I got chills. (laughs) That was Independence Day just Oh, is that what that was? Yeah. That was a great show. That was a great show. But apparently some scientists who have apparently nothing else to worry about are trying to come up with a universal message to send out in hope of reaching extraterrestrials. You got to get this right, right? When you finally send your message out, you got to nail the message. You better get it right the first time. Yeah. You don't want to like blow it like, we got corn dogs. (laughs) That's the first message they receive. We're making hats You want a hat? It's hat day. (laughs) Happy hat day. 
So apparently, um, speaking at the British Science Festival, Dr. Anders Sandberg uh, was speaking on the topic of the future of humanity, and he uh, he says this: the classic example of message would be a series of pulses, which show binary numbers. DNA sketch of the solar system or a number of humans, you know, the DNA, uh, you could send out the entire genome project. Is that what we want to send first? I think we need a better message. Yeah, what would you sell? What would sell aliens? On we come in peace. What do we give them, though? Hot dogs. Hot do- <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, could, we could talk about The Apprentice. Mm-hmm. The, Excellent. That's what Donald Trump brings up. So if Donald Trump, if he's the leader, he's going to always, the first message is, have you seen The Apprentice? Apprentice, have you read the book, The Art of the Deal? That would get it. It's a great book. I had some friends who had their DNA taken to see where their ancestors were from. Wouldn't it be a little frightening if it, you know, What if you found out? What if you found out you're from, but you know what? I've done that too, where you can go find your, it's like find your ancestors at, mm-hmm. at BYU. If you go to BYU and find your ancestors, mm-hmm. anybody that puts that into Google, you can go, just put your name in and it'll tell you who, who you're related to. Yeah, I've, I've tracked my ancestors back to extraterrestrial like sources. Really? So, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Is that, doesn't that make sense? Total Kathy? sense, uh-huh. That's why the, the translucent skin. <laughs> That's why I can see your heart beating. Yeah, like the the green vibe. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, dude. I tracked mine back. Have you done this? No, I have not. I tracked it, and there was nothing. I'm You're related to nobody. You're the first. Yeah. You're was, the first of the best. It was, I mean, it was come on. Everyone at the table, like, no way, I'm related to President Reagan. No way, I'm related to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Do you have a belly button? And you're related to Donald Trump. I know that's I'm what not, I was going to say. I'm not related to anybody. <laughs> it was pathetic. I was so let down. That's sad. We do need to think of what would be our first statement. So Mm -hmm. if you've got any ideas, tweet us, at Dr. Matt Show. I'd like to know what you think should be the very first statement we send out to communicate with extraterrestrials. I think we could, just because of the movie E.T., say something like, phone home. That would be good. Very good. I don't know. It's a big decision. Plus, let's make sure we don't infect them, right? So make sure you run your messages through spam and adware. Hey, have you seen the new trailer for that movie with Matt Damon? No. Martian? What? You haven't seen that? No. I don't see much. Oh, it looks like it's going to be good. I can't wait. So maybe on I'll Friday go, I'll you'll go be look it up. I'll that. look it up yeah. right now. Yeah. I'll Isn't go look it, it called up. Martian Ben? Isn't that right? Martian yeah. Ben? Yeah. Martian Ben. Okay, hold. <laughs> that makes sense. It's called Martian, right, Yeah, they, they... They found my heritage, so they made a movie based on me. A guy that was with Matt Damon starring. So I didn't like him in that. What was that last movie he was in when they went to some far planet? Interstellar. Yeah, I didn't like him. Well, he was a bad guy. He was the bad guy. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. I know. Oh, you don't see anything. I, you know, I because ever since I started doing this show so early. I'm asleep by 8.30. I hear you. I'm actually sitting up in my chair at, at my dinner table, but I'm asleep. You're asleep. So I don't, I don't remember anything. It's all a blur. Let's go to Kathy Hake and find out what's going on in the headlines. Good morning, everyone. California's Valley Fire continues to devastate the area, displacing thousands and destroying over 700 homes. Thousands of homes are still being threatened, with the blaze only 10% contained. One Northern California resident had to flee the chaos. It went all the way around us. There was no stopping it. That would just watch the houses around us burn. Oh, uh, yeah, it was utter chaos. It was crazy. 
A second blaze known as the Butte Fire is burning southeast of Sacramento, where another 10,000 residents have been forced to evacuate. Just 30 percent of that blaze is under control. Meanwhile, according to a study from the University of Arizona, the Sierra Nevada snowpack is estimated to be at its lowest level in more than 500 years. The snowpack provides California with about a third of its water, and that state is suffering through a fourth straight drought year. Eight people are dead and five others are missing after a massive flash flood hit a Utah-Arizona border town. The victims, all mothers and young children, were in an SUV and a van when they were swept away. Hilldale, Utah Mayor Philip Barlow talked about those who died. And they had stopped outside of that flood area and were standing there watching the flood and a flash flood came down the canyon. Basically the vehicles were swept into the creek and down. We have 16 people involved between the two vehicles. One was a fairly good sized van full of people. The community that was hit served as a home base for polygamous sect leader Warren Jeffs. Search and rescue teams are scheduled to resume efforts to find the missing. The man suspected of killing his live-in girlfriend as well as a colleague has died from an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Shannon Lamb allegedly killed his girlfriend Amy Prentice, then drove to Delta State University when he shot and killed fellow professor Ethan Schmidt. Lamb reportedly shot himself after being chased by police last night. Officials won't discuss a motive, though some believe it was linked to a love triangle. Senate Republicans will try again today to towards a resolution rejecting the Iran nuclear deal. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has scheduled a vote to end debate, but it's expected to be blocked by Senate Democrats for a second time. It's not clear whether this will be the Republicans' last vote in the effort to stop the accord from moving forward. According to a new New York Times CBS poll, retired neurosurgeon Ben Carson is gaining ground on GOP frontrunner Donald Trump. Carson has 23 percent of Republican support to Trump's 27 percent. Since the last poll, Carson has seen an increase of 17 points, while Trump has gained just three. The next GOP presidential debate is scheduled for tomorrow night. At a rally in Dallas last night, Trump continued his talk against illegal immigration, telling the crowd the U.S. is, quote, a dumping ground for the rest of the world. Despite being asked by the GOP leaders to tone down his rhetoric, Trump said he's just getting started. And Matt, if you thought Trump was loud and obnoxious... Yeah. How about Mark Cuban for president? The billionaire and owner of the Dallas Mavericks said if he ran, he would, quote, do well and said, if I ran as a Dem, I know I could beat Hillary Clinton. And if it was me versus Trump, I would crush him. No doubt about it. But that would be that would be a knockdown. That would be great to watch. Yeah. Great entertainment. Great entertainment. Not sure would get much out of it other yeah. than name calling and mudslinging. But what is the deal with these people? Their egos their are ego huge. 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 Don't yeah. you wish you had a huge ego like that? Well, when, I, I think anything. Mark's going, well, I don't know anything about politics, but neither does Trump. And look how well he's doing. That's right. Yeah. He's killing it. Yeah. And Trump fires people. And what? Oh, he's on the Shark Tank. Right. Yeah. Plus, he owns the Mavericks. Mm-hmm. And that rally last night was at where the Mavericks play. Do you remember how um, – so Trump got beat up because of all of the uh, bankruptcies he's, his right. companies have filed. Uh-huh. I wonder if this guy – what's his name? Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban. I wonder if he'd be – if they'd beat him up for just the, the lack of the Mavericks winning, winning enough titles. Yeah, that could be just the one, mm-hmm. I believe, right? Is it one or two? I think they maybe were in two, maybe one, yeah. one. I don't remember. Yeah. I think it may be two. Okay. <sighs> What's so fun, this isn't one? this? I just can't wait for the next debate tomorrow night. That's going to be That'll great. Be fun. Yeah. I just hope the aliens aren't watching. Mm-hmm. I had to run away. They're going to completely misunderstand who we are. <laughs> anyway, scary Trump stuff. Trump is a virus. Trump is a virus. You know what? We got to be, you know, we don't want to infect the aliens. So we're going to make sure we 
clean up our messages before we send them out. Hey, uh, coming up next, Dr. Ann Brennan Malik will be joining us, and she is going to be talking to us about marriage in modern life. Um, what, why it works, when it works, when opposites attract. We're going to find out the insight. How do we do this, folks? Is it still viable to get married? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm going to say yes. And in fact, I think it's uh, going to enhance your life. We'll be right back. Talking marriage. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, this is the show where we try to help you learn to love stronger. And one of the goals with that is uh, your marriages and and to make sure that you have the tools you need. Uh, You know, in modern day, marriage has undergone some, uh, some, 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 some significant changes recently. Keeping up with all of the new waves of advice for newlyweds can be difficult. But really, what does uh, lead to success for couples in this modern age? What happens when opposites attract and then tie the knot? We're going to be talking about a bunch of these issues with our guest today. Dr. Uh, Anne Brennan Malik uh, is the founder of Symmetry Counseling and the author of the book Marriage in Modern Life, How It Works, When It Works. She joins us now live to help us uh, understand more um, about creating a healthy marriage. Anne, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, to me, such an important topic. I love relationship. Uh, just, I love focusing on them, understanding them. They're such a major part of our lives. But talk to us a little bit about this this hectic world and the status of marriage in today's society. How How does it fit in today? Well, the hectic world, I mean, the hectic pace that so many of us keep, I mean, the the standard answer when we when we see our friends and family is how are you doing busy 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 crazy busy right everybody's yeah. busy and i think part of part of that is that we have certainly in the in the majority of of marriages we have two two spouses are working full time and then they can of course often have children right and so it is it is managing your your children your own life your work, your perhaps extended family, your friendships, it's it's a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. And and so I think what happens is that what happens in marriage especially is that over over time couples stop prioritizing their partner because they have so many other things that are demands on their time. And you know, when we when we fall in love with someone they are sort of the center of our universe, mm-hmm. and and they, you know, and, and our partners love that ranking. Right? Well, and and we're we're so chemically one. charged too, right? Oh, totally. I mean, <laughs> so everything's it. easier. The neurotransmitters and the hormones are, are are all firing, and it feels delightful. And you are obsessed with this with this other person, and that's all that you focus on. But if you stay together long enough, and you move move past and through that infatuation stage which all relationships will if they last long enough, then, you, then, the, then the relationship changes and real life, the rest of life intrudes. Mm. And, so, and it can be hard. It can feel to, to 
have been the center of your partner's universe at one time and then to sort of fall in priority, people feel that. Yeah. And, and they don't like it. Well, and what do you think about this later age that people are marrying? I, I mean, we, I guess the benefit is we, we supposedly know more who we are. We're supposedly more mature. But we also might be, you know, more selfish. We also might be more, um, you know, not necessarily habituated to be with people. Um, yeah, I mean, there certainly there certainly could be. Um, we could say some maybe some bad personal habits develop over over the course of a life, and or people become more more self centered or or selfish, or just sort of thinking about their own needs and wants. Yeah. Um, and and that of course can be true, but but what the research does show us is that is that the older uh, that people are when they marry, uh, the stronger and the and the better the chance at those relationships working. And mm. I think it is it is a factor of they are um, uh, more mature. They are perhaps they have dated, they have had relationships. They know what they what they want, what they're looking for. They know who, perhaps um, who they will partner best with. Um, and so all of these, all of these things um, do matter when, when we're making a lifetime commitment. Oh, yeah. And now I know you do, uh, you practice and do a lot of group practice in Chicago, downtown Chicago. When you're seeing your clients um, and just kind of like you were talking about the infatuation stage, a lot of times, I guess we fall in love with um, our opposites. A, do you believe opposites attract? And if so, then we're kind of starting the relationship at odds, really, without even knowing it. Well, I think the reason opposites attract is because part of this is we 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 meet this person and they have these strengths or mm. these or these good habits, these healthy habits that we admire, that perhaps we wish we had in ourselves, or you know, why is it that? that I tend to be a spender and this person I'm attracted to perhaps is a saver, how do they make it work? Yeah. Or um, I, uh, I wish I exercised more, but yet I meet this person and they, and they run marathons, and that's just kind of interesting and fascinating to me that they have this self-discipline. So this is, this is, I think, what we are attracted to in this other person, that they have these traits that we wish we had, and so that's, that's attractive. Yeah. Yeah, and we're like, oh, I need that in my gene pool. Yeah, that I wish maybe some of that could um, – I could be influenced by my partner. Right. And yeah. yet what we don't know is that, you know, when the chemistry fades and life gets tough and you're two or two kids deep into this and, you know, the pressure's there, those opposite tendencies are just going to drive you crazy. They certainly – They mean, have they the potential. Can yeah. If they, if they haven't been, you know, if the – if uh, there there hasn't been some um, uh, some smoothing off of some edges and some differences, I mean, ideally, relationships that I think work well, we have the the power to influence each other. When I met my husband, and he still is neater than I am, but I was probably messier, yeah. and 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 he would agree with that, <laughs> and I probably still am a little messier, but I I work hard. To be a little neater, or more, or I should say, much neater, because I think it's important to him. Yeah. And that 
we have less conflict or less frustration if I just put put the time in to um, to be a little bit more mindful of of my surroundings. Well, and he may have loosened up a little bit too, right? So it's, I think that's part of it. Right, yeah. It kind of goes both ways, and you may have loosened his grip a little bit, and he um, may have tightened yours a bit. That's powerful. I mean, that's the benefit yeah, of a yeah, relationship. I, mean, I, I think. I think that's exactly right, that we just, um, all of us, all of us learn in relationships, I think all of us should learn, that you have to, in relationships, you have to pick your battles, right? Mm-hmm. You have to say, what is it really worth? Is this, is this issue really worth fighting over? Or he's a little messy or she's a little messy, so if I just clean up a little more and I feel better about things and I don't, and I'm, and I'm not constantly complaining about this issue about this issue. Yeah, it's powerful. Uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Ann brennan Malik, who's the author of the book Marriage in Modern Life, How It Works, When It Works. When we come back, she's going to be giving us some keys, some tools to help couples manage their differences, some communication skills as well. Stick with us, folks. You know, it's there's power and there's so much joy when you can uh, make these differences, you know, synergize and create some incredible uh, new things that come out of, of your differences and your partner's differences. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking marriage when we come back. to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Dr. Ann Brennan Malik, uh, who's the founder of Symmetry Counseling and the author of Marriage in Modern Life, How It Works, When It Works. She's uh, teaching us some keys, some skills to how for how we can, you know, manage the differences in our relationships. Uh, basically, here to just help us find some peace and move life forward in our modern marriages uh, Dr. Ann uh, Brennan Malik, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. Great to have you. Teach us. I mean, we don't want to just be all negative, like it's just relationships are horrible. What, what, what can we be doing in our marriages to make sure that we're bridging the differences? Uh, and I will, I will second what you said that relationships are not horrible. In fact, relationships are is is one of the. Um, the most sought-after avenues of bringing joy into our lives, mm. and so and so this is all the research shows that you know when you talk to people what what makes them happiest, and certainly a happy marriage is 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 right up there, probably in the top two. Yeah. Um, so I mean, often what I see when couples come into my office, and I work with a lot of couples, uh, is that they struggle with communication. What, what happens is that they, first of all, many couples don't know how to communicate well. They perhaps were not taught this in school, right? If right. their parents, if, they're, if, if they learn by watching their parents, and perhaps their parents weren't very successful at communicating, then therefore these, these two individuals may not be very successful in communicating, they will likely repeat the habits that they that they saw their parents 
engage in. Okay, so so what happens uh, with with poor communication is that uh, couples they try it, they feel like we're not very good at it. It perhaps escalates. It makes they feel as though whenever they try to talk, it makes the situation even worse, mm. and so they they avoid it. Right. They stop talking about the tough things because they think, well, I don't. It just seems to make it worse. So perhaps if we try to avoid this, then things will be okay. But, but for really big issues, that strategy is, um, it, that's not going to get you what you want. Yeah, eventually right? you and can't avoid the big issues, right? Eventually we've got to solve these things, deal with them. Uh, right, you can't, you can't avoid the big issues. And if you try, then there, I think what, what, what that leads to is a lot of resentment, is a lot of unhappiness. In a, and a lot of emotional distance yeah. in a relationship. If you can't talk about things that matter, if you can't feel heard and respected, even if your partner completely disagrees with you and your perspective, then um, that's going to lead to um, to conflict. Well, especially because your partner may have a, a lot uh, stronger need to communicate than you might. Like ever, some people just think you have to talk about well, everything you, and, and some don't yeah. feel like we need to talk. And I mean, that could be gender. That could be whatever. But in, in reality, you got to know what your partner needs, too. Right. Sure. And, and there can be, you know, I, I'm a believer in, in and each partner has to has to be willing to carry their part of the conversation. Right. This right. Is, marriage is, is going to be a life. A lifetime of conversation, and it can't just be on one person because the other one doesn't really have a need to talk. Right. Um, if you if you marry someone, I mean, part of that is is conversation, right? Is is inquiring as to how they are. It's sharing experiences. It's sharing thoughts. It's asking about someone's day. It's sharing your own day. Um, it's conversation and communication is incredibly important in keeping your connection healthy and strong. Just like for your husband, a clean apartment was important, and you were willing to adapt. Sure. And, and he was willing to loosen up a little bit too. The same thing has to happen in communication. If You have to be willing to adapt. And, I mean, in reality, that's how you fell in love in the first place, right, was because you were talking. Well, right. I mean, certainly, right. It's it's usually the physical attraction first, right, yeah. and then it's and then it's what does he or she say? Yeah. What am I? Um, are they are they funny? Are they interesting? Are they intelligent? All of these things, all of these things matter. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's it's. I think it's it's unrealistic to think. Well, I don't really have much to say, so therefore I'm not going to talk. Right. I think it's one of the the bargains of marriage, in that you need to be willing to make conversations, think about things to talk about, read, keep up on current events, follow what your partner is interested in. There are lots of, there are lots of avenues that can be discussed, and it's, it is the responsibility of both of them. What do you feel about um, having hobbies that are similar? I mean, that would be, it seems great if you had something like that. To, like if you both love politics, you could talk about politics. Um, but sometimes that's hard, too, to find, Right. Well, it can be um, it can be hard to find. Um, you both love politics, but you might see things differently, which could 
um, which could lead to some interesting conversations. Sure. Um, but uh, certainly couples that, and I have, I have certainly encouraged couples in my practice who I see to, if, if they find or if they feel as though that maybe there's, they don't have enough in common, that they've been together for, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, and they, and they feel as though they don't have much in common, I encourage them to go out, and I, in fact, I have a list of different possible activities that they could do together. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That, you know, all right, so look at this list, and it may, maybe feels a little hokey because of all the, all the different types of activities that are on this list, but finding things that couples can do together and, and spend time together and enjoy it and maybe learning together at the same pace um, can be really a very bonding experience. Oh, Totally. Um, and then, and and then we, and then it gives you just kind of a natural way to to have a conversation. Um, talk about when we have conflict. So when a conflict emerges, or this difference that might make one of us want to run away and one of us want to talk about it, are there some tricks of the trade for how we can engage the conversation in a safer way? There, um, there are most definitely tricks of the trade. So, so here's okay. So I will kind of give you. Um, a rundown of how I think healthy communication yeah. works around areas of areas of difference. One is that okay. So step one is that you you need to invite your partner to this conversation, right? You need instead to say, of instead of forcing them. Yeah, yeah, like you can't say I need to talk about this right now because it's driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could you could try that, although it's not going to work, and it doesn't really give your partner the flexibility to say, hey, listen, this, the, the timing, like I'm not in the headspace for this right now, so, so can we talk about it tomorrow? So, so part of it is inviting your partner and making sure that the time works for them too. They may say, not now, can we talk about it tomorrow? And that's going to have to be okay. Yeah. Now, I say that, but the partner that asks for the delay, they, they really need to meet their commitment when they ask for that delay. If they keep delaying it, that's, that's a bad strategy. Yeah, you can't. This, yeah, that's just avoidance, right? Uh, yes, yes. So, so that is one thing. So inviting your partner, telling him or her what you want to talk about. Okay, tomorrow night I would like to talk about the budget. And, oh, boy, okay, I, <laughs> maybe, maybe your partner, maybe that stresses him or her out. So you say, okay, well, I can't do it tomorrow night, but how about Saturday afternoon? Okay. How about never? Tomorrow. That's, uh, yeah, right. that's 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 but that's important. That, that that happens with way too many couples. Sure, no, right, um, no, exactly. Um, so that is part of it, and so you you meet, and perhaps for some high conflict couples, which um, exist, sure, you you may actually need to set an agenda for the meeting, so you know that the conversation won't get distracted by lots of other topics. Yeah, right. You also might say. Um, hey, listen, I need 30 minutes. Can we talk about this for 30 minutes? And then the partner who may be more avoidant or uncomfortable at least knows that there's going to be an end point. No, I love that. And I love to know that's going to happen. And I would even make it formal. Like I would set your timer on your phone because then it's not this permanent – when sometimes when somebody says, "Can we talk?" it sounds like to me that have you got three hours for me to tell you what you're doing wrong? (laughs) Well, that's that's exactly right. That's the reason why why I think there should be when you ask for your partner to meet with you, you should say what you want to talk about, yeah. and Topic, also yeah. 
this time, this time limit. Okay, it's going to take 20 minutes, it's going to take 30 minutes. And if you don't finish the conversation, then if both of you agree to keep going and maybe extend it another yeah. 20 or 30 minutes, or you could say, not today, how about tomorrow? I love that. That's safe. So there has to be this back and forth. Another very, very important issue with couples, and when you're trying to have a respectful conversation, is that if one of you or both of you is getting overheated, and I think for the most part, all of us know when this is happening, yeah, right? right. Like we get a little, we get a little hot. Maybe like your ears get hot. I mean, if you're your, sweating, you got a problem. <laughs> your breathing, <laughs> your your breathing is a bit shallow. You're and you find yourself not listening. You're just waiting for your partner to to stop talking so you can make your point. Mm. Okay. Or if you if you feel like the tone of voices is is getting louder. Okay. This is an indication that you need to take a break. So one of you or both of you needs to say, "Hey, listen, this isn't going very well. I don't want to say something that I'm going to regret." Okay, and I'm afraid that I might if we keep talking. I need, we need to, I need to take a break. I'll come back to this in an hour or however much time. I'll come back to this tomorrow, but I'm getting really worked up because yeah. I don't feel like, I don't feel heard or I think you are dismissing my perspective or what have you. you there, there should be a reason why one of you is calling off the meeting and you do need to reschedule it right then and there, and the person that asked for the reschedule needs to meet that commitment. Yeah. You can't just put it off forever. And so the partner that, that, that wants to keep talking, this, w- this might be hard for them, right? They might want to keep talking. Right. And this can be very difficult to say to respect their partner who needs the space. And so what I have found is that if one partner seeks space, give them the space. Do not chase them. Do not say, no, we need to finish it now. You need to give them the space. Because whatever it is that you're trying to get from forcing that discussion, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's no, that's true. There. Well, yeah, and, and, and you, you've already created a safe space. And, so, and, and then and the other person needs to honor it, like you say, and come back and, and get back in the space. And let's try even harder now that we kind of know where we are to not escalate it again. And we just try it again. Yeah, and there are, I mean, there are some techniques to use, and they, these can feel a little hokey. I get that, called, well, it's called either active listening or the speaker-listener technique. Yeah. Do you know what those are? Yeah, that's, so that's kind of reflective listening where I hear what you're saying, and then I kind of paraphrase back for you what you're, I hear you saying from exactly. your frame of reference. So, so, and I found that that keeps us a lot of times from getting caught up in it because I'm not – I have to actually listen well enough to paraphrase what you're saying back to you to show I get it. Yes. Instead of just and me saying, I got it, I got it. Yeah. That listening part is so important. And what, this, what that does is it slows the whole thing down. Yep. It slows the entire communication down. Which is, imp- that's it, right? That's important yeah. because if otherwise, if we wanted the relationship to work, we wouldn't speed through the most important conversation. We'd slow it right. down. Exactly. We'd make sure we get it. Exactly. Isn't that so, weird? So those are those are some those are some um, kind of brief brief tips on how to um, set up a safe communication space. What would you say? Um, we have about a minute uh, left or so for the couples out there 
that um, that that maybe are just they're just tired. They they don't necessarily. It's not that they don't like each other. They're just kind of too busy, too exhausted to be connecting with each other, um, and they're just missing each other. What would you say are some things that they could do today? Oh, sure. That would just too get busy. it connected yeah, I mean, too again. Too busy or too connected. Yeah, or rather, um, too busy to even connect with each other. What I would so this is this is what I, I would want these couples to keep in mind. Your partner, just as you do need daily attention, affection, and appreciation. Matt, you would not believe the number of people that, engage, that, that are married and don't hug and oh. kiss their spouse every day. Yeah. That just things, like, I don't know what is more important than that. <laughs> really? If you made this commitment to this person, how could, how could everything else that is time-consuming be more important than giving your spouse a hug and a kiss? Right. Every day, multiple times. So, so that is one thing. So, so to keep in mind, affection, appreciation, attention, and attention, and also to have twenty minutes a day of screen-free, just you and your partner sitting and talking. Yeah. If twenty minutes seems too long to start with, okay, try ten. But the screen-free time where you just you're taking a walk, you're sitting on the couch looking at each other. You're just talking about your day, not talking about stressful stuff, but just talking about your day and connecting. It's, it's also date night. Sounds, I know it can sound very cliche, but it's so important that couples schedule this, that you take turns taking responsibility for planning and arranging for babysitter and picking up the restaurant or, or the movie or what have you, that you take turns, that you are both responsible for for keeping the romance alive. Yeah, no, I love that idea. Date, um, date nights yeah. and then uh, 20 minutes of uninterrupted, no screen time, just talking, talking. time. And that, that yeah. could be the place where you could get attention, affection, appreciation. Totally, completely, yeah. And, and, and to realize that, you know, couples tend to hyper-focus on their children to to um, the neglect of their marriages, yeah. thinking that that is the right thing to do, and and I will tell you what what happens is that is that the marital bond is weakened when that happens, and the way to be I mean what what kids want right is two happy loving parents right, and so to to refocus on your marriage, pull a little bit away from the kids if possible. And refocus on your marriage because your marriage should be the priority. And it's going to last a long time and that will when the kids are gone. Children. Right, exactly. Yeah. And you're also modeling for your children how to have a healthy, successful marriage. That's it. That's it. That's what we want. Dr. Ann Brennan Malik, we appreciate you and uh, the great insight you've given us. Again, the book is Marriage in Modern Life How It Works, When It Works. You can also go to her website, Dr. Dr. Ann Malik, M A L E C, Dr. Ann Malik. Dot com. Uh, great insight, folks. Marriages matter, folks. And you can work it out in today's crazy day and age. Modern times do- just means you got to pick up your game a little bit. Create a modern marriage, one that's still full of love, though, appreciation, affection. We'll take a break. Come back to a quick coach's corner. Stick with us, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Great insight about marriage. And, uh, you know, we're all just striving to find some happiness, whether it's our marriage, our children. There is some interesting um, research out. If you want satisfaction, research shows have at least four children. Sorry, I bring my kid to work today. (laughs) Just listen to that for a minute. Just that little sound. Doesn't that just make your heart race? And I love children. I have six children. Um, According to some research, parents uh, with a lot of kids running around doing heaven knows what, uh, you know what, you ought to be thankful. Some research that's unpublished out of Australia says that children, uh, parents with at least four children get the most satisfaction out of life despite all the chaos and the higher expenses. Thank you, kids. Thank you. Thank you. Sit down. Okay, sit down. I got to keep doing my show. With uh, large families, we think that it's the social support that we find within the family, according to the study that's led by Bronwyn Harmon. The kids are never bored. They have someone to play with. They get independence quite early on. This uh, Harmon interviewed 950 parents over a five-year period to evaluate their level of happiness. Yahoo reports um, and asks them about self-esteem, social support, and resilience. And uh, along with all of this, basically, they found out that, you know, parents have big families. They do have issues, right? One of the issues could be your marriage, which we just talked about earlier. So there are benefits to having the kids. um, And four kids apparently produces a lot of happiness. Now, six kids can also produce happiness. Twenty kids could produce happiness. That really, that just makes my heart start racing. Everybody out there driving, Ben, you can't do that. So you don't have kids. You don't know what that does to a parent. That right there, I just, in the back of my head, I just think, honey, get the kid. (laughs) I have to relish this power as long as I have it. Yeah. You got to be careful. (laughs) You got to be careful. (laughs) I could kill someone. You don't know. Yeah. You could kill somebody (laughs) who's out there now. has got to get home because the kids are crying. Anyway, kids are great. But- in the end, too, your marriage is going to matter. How many times have I seen – in fact, even last night I was working with a couple and basically what they're telling me is you know, they're divorcing and they really want to make sure they do what's best for the kids. But they fight like cats and dogs. So they say, so what, what's best for the kids in the divorce? And I'm like, well, how about let's just start with quit fighting. And that lasted just a few minutes. What's best for the kids is loving parents that care for each other and look after each other and are faithful to each other. That's what that's what's good for the kids. So don't try to make it anything other than that. Your marriage is the most important investment you're going to make in your children's lives. So commit. Get in. Work on it. More affection, more appreciation, more acceptance, more safety, more trust. Basic stuff, folks. We'll take a break. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. Done. Signed, sealed, delivered. Meme it. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world right here on the Matt Townsend Show. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to help you live longer and love stronger Got a great show for you today. Today we'll be joined by Dr. Ron Hager, who is going to be teaching us a little bit more about uh, functional medicine, being a healthy person, pushing your doctors to not just you know react to your symptoms, but become a proactive specialist in your life. You know, trying to anticipate some of your issues. Holy cow, we got so much to talk about. So much to do. Here's an example, by the way. Today, happy. National Double Cheeseburger Day. Speaking of health, I'm going to ask Dr. Ron Hager how he feels about that. <laughs> I don't. For some reason, I'm thinking that's not on his list. I'm going to ask him the last time he had a double cheeseburger. Have you ever had it animal style at In and Out? Yes. Not loving that. Yeah, my kids loved. I didn't even know what it was. I guess you they just kind of know and you ask. Isn't that you get where all you those just, onions and yeah, things on you top? You get the uh-huh. onions the and sautéed the, onions. Well, then you know how you're supposed to eat it without your hands. Thus, the animal style. Oh, yeah. No, didn't know that part. In fact, we have audio of um, Ben eating a hamburger. No. Yeah. Not the one from yesterday. Well, no, no. This is actually him eating a hamburger, animal style, at In-N-Out. Okay. It's it's weird because he's, he's a messy eater. And... Apparently, it's going to take about five more seconds. <laughs> Trying to load up that nasty sound again. <laughs> I just sprung that on him. Yeah. I mean, normally he throws this sound out there. What is your favorite double burger, though? In uh, and out? Is uh, it In and Out? Um, let me think. Do you like Smash Burger? I've never eaten there. Oh. See, it is the same one from yesterday. No, this is I different. Hate this sound. It's this not. One, oh, this yeah. one's animal style. Oh. This is the same sound. It from sounds yesterday. a lot like yesterday, but <laughs> he's eating it. Oh, oh. No, I hate this sound, really. It's so disgusting. Oh, it makes me like get a little gaggy. Okay, okay. That's good. Yeah. Good boy. That's down. Good. Mm-hmm. Down. Down boy. Down. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a double meat person. Yeah. And I hate cheese. Why? On a hamburger. Well, the ones that you cheese you get at the uh, I mean, I like yeah. putting my own cheese, like if I cut it, but right. yeah, no. Really? That cheese is fake, I think. Oh, no. Oh, it is. Oh, it's real it cheese. Not. It's orange. <laughs> it's not. It's orange. <laughs> it's orange, orange coloring is about it. Yeah. No. <laughs> Hold the cheese. And it's, by the way, it's Make a Hat Day mm-hmm. and Get Ready Day and National Linguini Day. It's a big day for mm-hmm. foods. Yeah, that is a good day. Did you hear- Lots of carbs. Um, <laughs> this is the craziest story um, about the the IRS- this is important for you to know, Kathy, because okay. of your uh, income status. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you owe the tax man, the IRS, $100 million or more, mm-hmm. your check will be no good because they are no longer accepting checks over $99,999,000. Mm. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. So if you have to April. write a $100 million check... Don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. That'd be really hard to fit all those letters and numbers on there. Well, I've only done it twice. Mm-hmm. And you're able to do it? Yeah. Okay. It's a lot. But you got to count. Count your zeros. <laughs> when I first read that, I thought it was saying, you like, ISIS isn't accepting checks over $99 million. That's the IRS. <laughs> yeah. Not so. the ISIS. Sure I'm pretty sure ISIS would accept that check. <laughs> that that uh, makes a lot more sense. But apparently, they're, they're, hard to, they're hard to actually 
you know, verify because they have to be processed by hand. Mm -hmm. And apparently as as a country, we're too busy in the IRS to process a $100 million check. Yeah. That's too difficult. Is that that hard? And they need the money. You know what they like, I've heard? $100 million in pennies. I hear they love that. Interesting to see how many. Didn't somebody get in trouble for doing that? I think so. Yeah. Those are the angry people. Angry, angry people. Well, let's uh, let's get rid of the angry people and let's instead just go to Kathy. Find out what's going on in the headlines. A school bus heading towards Fur High School in Houston this morning plunged off a freeway, killing two female students and injuring four others, including the bus driver. No details of the, of the severity of the injured have been released. Flash floods in southern Utah have, le- have left at least eight people dead and five others in, uh, are missing. The victims, all mothers and young children, were in an SUV and a van when they were swept away. The floods came after heavy rains fell in the canyons just north of Hilldale, Utah, and Colorado City, Arizona. Here's Hilldale Assistant Fire Chief Kevin Barlow. Very dangerous, very treacherous. The banks are caving off. Uh, More significant flood than we've had for quite some time. Obviously, it took them off guard. They were well back from where the flood channel usually is. Search and rescue teams are scheduled to resume efforts to find the missing this morning. An instructor from Delta State University who allegedly shot and killed his girlfriend and another professor on campus yesterday died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound last night. 45-year-old Shannon Lamb reportedly killed his girlfriend, 41-year-old Amy Prentice, at their home, then drove to the university and shot 39-year-old assistant professor Ethan Schmidt. He pulled off on the side of the road, exited his vehicle, and went into a wooded area. Uh, There was one gunshot that was heard. We don't know why this man did what he did. That was Cleveland, Mississippi Police Chief Charles Bingham. Authorities believe the shootings may have been related to a possible love triangle. The shooting sent the entire campus on lockdown but was lifted late last night. Wildfires in Northern California continue to cause major damage. The Valley Fire north of San Francisco, considered one of the most destructive in state history, has leveled entire neighborhoods. One person has died and a number of people are still unaccounted for. A second blaze known as the Butte Fire was burning southeast of Sacramento where at least 10,000 people People have been forced out of their homes. Only 30% of that fire has been contained. Here's firefighter Don Lopez. This is what I do. This is what I love. This is my community. And you don't, you just have to, you just, there's no other word for it. You just have to keep going. Meanwhile, a new study shows the Sierra Nevada snowpack, which after melting provides California with one third of its water, is estimated to be at its lowest level in 500 years. California is in its fourth straight year of severe drought. Hungary declared a state of emergency today, shutting its border to migrants. The move paved the way for the country to deploy the army to its border with Serbia in order to stop the flow of those entering its borders. The move also speeds up the court process for those seeking asylum. Nearly 200,000 refugees fleeing the Middle East, Africa and Asia have entered Hungary from Serbia this year. According to a new CBS News poll, Bernie Sanders leads Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire 52 to 30 percent and leads in Iowa as well 43 to 33 percent over Clinton. From that same poll, Ben Carson is gaining ground on GOP frontrunner Donald Trump. Carson has 23 percent of the Republican support to Trump's 27. Since that last poll, Carson has seen an increase of 17 points while Trump has gained just three. The next GOP presidential debate is tomorrow night. And speaking of Trump, Matt, he received an endorsement. I don't know if you would consider this a uh, big imp- okay. important endorsement. This okay. is huge. By actor Gary Busey. Oh. Okay. 
<laughs> sure. Busey, who was on Celebrity Apprentice twice, said Trump is a great guy. He's sharp. He's fast, and he can change the country after the last eight years. So, I'm, wow. would you be would you be touting that? I'm not quite sure. Well, you know what? I I hear Gary Busey might be in his cabinet. You heard that, huh? <laughs> Which cabinet? He'd be one of the he'd be one of the secretaries. The secretary mm-hmm. of um. <laughs> I'm just waiting for it. <laughs> Wasn't he on Dancing with the Stars, by the yes, way? Yes, he was. Uh-huh. Yeah, so probably the Secretary of Education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds that like seems a great to fit. post for him. <laughs> that would scare me, actually. You know yeah. what? Can you imagine? Oh. Oh. I guess <laughs> it when you're a politician, you're like, I don't, Gary, you know what? Yeah. Shush. Shush. Don't yeah. mention that. Yeah. They're, they're funny that the headline said gets in a, he gets an important, I think it was an important endorsement. I thought, oh, who is it? Gary Busey likes really Gary Busey. Is that important? I don't know. Crazy, yeah. crazy Gary Busey. I'm not sure that he'll bring him up on stage anytime soon to show that. <laughs> I'm not sure, but and Donald's even trying to like get everyone. I mean, because all these supposed billionaires want to give him money. Mm-hmm. So he's, well, Donald's he's, saying he can use his own money, right? Well, he yeah, but he's asking his money. crowd. You know, would you guys be okay if these people gave me money? He's trying to. Brother. I think he wants money because <laughs> he's, he's tired this of spending is, yeah, his this own has money. Cost me more than I anticipated. Well, and imagine what happens when somebody actually does get the presidency with their own money. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason we have a system where you have to kind of have donations right. and people buy into you. Then yeah. they're more involved. Yeah. Or just get Gary Busey on board, mm-hmm. and then just and so, welcome yeah. to Crazy yeah. Town. Yeah, he's got to be one of the few. I think he's one of the few Republican actors, at least, that will say they're for a oh, Republican. Oh, he's Republican. Well, if he's for Donald Trump, I'm assuming that means he's Republican. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what it means Maybe not. anymore. It yeah, might there's just not be... a whole lot of Hollywood that would admit they're Republican. Yeah, that's, that's so true. for sure. That's true. Totally true. Or would admit they know Gary Busey. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> if yeah, we're going to be probably, totally honest about it. That's probably accurate as well. So he uh, – <laughs> Gary Anyway, you were you were not to be for a offensive. really big important name, weren't you? <laughs> I totally was. Yeah, I was like, who? who? Ross Perot? Um, nope, Gary Busey. Uh, anyway, great uh, great news. We're we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us. He is a professor of exercise sciences here at the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. We're going to be talking health. We got to get healthier, folks. Just uh, getting some insight from the good doctor. His expertise, by the way, chronic disease prevention. Wouldn't that be great if our doctors could prevent some of this disease instead of just rapidly react to it? We'll be talking about that. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, one of the goals of the show is to help you live longer. And our resident expert on that, uh, who better to join us than our good Dr. Ron Hager, who is an associate professor here on the campus of Brigham Young University. He is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences, and his expertise is chronic disease prevention Also joining us on the phone is our good friend, Dr. Rob Adams, who is a practicing physician in Demet, Texas, and also shares a passion for chronic disease prevention. So between good Dr. Ron Hager and Rob Adams, we're going to figure out how to become healthier. Is that right, gentlemen? That's right. Yes. Are you with us, Rob? 
I am, yes. You made it. Now, here's the deal. Uh, we've been talking together for about three weeks or three visits or so about functional medicine, which clarify for us once again, Ron, if you'd have to just define functional medicine, what would that look like? In very simple terms, Matt, functional medicine is more of a patient-centered approach, and and it's designed to empower the patient to take care of themselves, as opposed to a more common or traditional medical model of a disease-centered approach, right. where you're not really dealing with the person, you're just dealing with their symptoms. Yeah. So you want to take a look at the person as a whole individual. Now, there's all kinds of other functional things out there, and we've talked a little bit about this, I mean... You know, it, it's funny that we seem to have gone this direction where, you know, in order for something to be right or good, you have to put the word functional in front right. of it. <laughs> right. You know, like, like, like functional fitness. Like, you know, there must be fitness that's maybe not so Just good for you. Functional fitness. And, and, and believe it or not, there actually is. So, well, you, yeah, you can see some of these people that lift too many weights and you can't, they've lost their neck. Yeah, exactly. So these kinds of things. And so there's, there's functional wellness, there's functional medicine, there's functional foods. And we've talked, recently about functional foods. Um, and, and we kind of want to follow up on that today. One of our, our goals uh, you know, r- that Rob and I have for today is to try and help the listener walk away from hearing what, what we're saying today with feeling like they can do something about uh, you know, their behavior yeah. or their choices. Now, when it comes to functional foods, we want to talk today about added sugar you know, in the diet. And this has become uh, a real catastrophe, in yeah. my opinion, uh, in our society. Because uh, sugar is so natural, Ron. What on yeah, earth yeah. Well, do you yeah. have against sugar? Well, what I what I want to say, and then I want I want to get uh, uh, Rob's uh, Doctor Adams' opinion because he he's he studied this and he he sees it. You know, he's in the trenches with yeah. this, um, and he sees patients' diets and things. But what, the one thing I want to mention is that whether you go back, you know, maybe a few hundred to maybe a few thousand years ago, and even back further than that, the the main source of sugar back right. then was something called fructose. And and that's a plant sugar sure. that that people mostly got from uh eating fruits, a, a prune, an or, apple or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now 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 that the interesting thing, Matt, is that when you consumed something like that that had sugar in it, you also got you know a a, a nutrient dense, a nutrient rich food that you were eating hmm. in order to get that sugar. Right. Whereas today Almost all of the sugar that people consume is what is considered added sugar, and it is not part of the natural food that originally contained the sugar. Now, this is either manufactured sugars, and there's even you know some degree of concern for artificial sweeteners that are calorie-free. So this isn't just about calories alone. But today, our sugar is not accompanied by the nutrients. Are you saying... A Tootsie Roll isn't nutrient-rich? That's exactly what I'm saying, man. <laughs> man! But so, so really, we're getting the majority of our sugar. And, and, and give the numbers. The okay, numbers well, are off the if, chart. If, if you go back to—I I don't have this on, on this chart, but if you go back to the 1800s, say, in Europe, yeah, uh, average per capita sugar consumption in the early 1800s was about five and a half to six pounds of sugar per person per year. Through fructose, through fruit, mainly, basically. Mainly, yeah, right. mainly. I, I mean, there's also things like honey, for example. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, today uh, in, in the U.S., we're over 150 pounds oh, per geez. person per year of, of added sugar. 
Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's, I mean, it, it's gone ballistic. Dr. Adams, do you see that in your practice? Oh, uh, yesterday, my last patient of the morning, like it was out of control. Like it was a five-year-old that was in the 99th percent, 99.9 percentile for uh, his weight and his BMI. Mm. Um, and the mom was concerned because he had high blood pressure at his dental visit uh, a couple days before, and she was coming in to, to figure out um, is there something wrong and, and what do they do about it? And oh. uh, I was like, uh, yeah, um, well, let's have a talk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, some of the stuff that uh, I think this is one of the reasons, like uh, I'll stop and visit Ron and we have such a good time in his office just bantering back information. Like, can you believe da 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 da? <laughs> um, but like, till the, like before the 1800s, really, um, how did we we didn't we had a hard time getting sugar coming across sugar and then like around the 1800s is when they really started setting up the uh sugar cane farms in uh, the virgin islands mm. uh and that bumped up the sugar consumption but then really with the industrial revolution is when it just went nutso uh and you know around the 1850s is when sugar consumption just skyrocketed because we had the ability to manufacture sugar or process it more efficiently. Uh, we didn't need uh, the sweat equity in, involved in it. We were able to involve machines in manufacturing that sugar. And uh, and so consumption went really through the roof. And uh, if you look at a, a chart for sugar consumption, you'll see an interesting little dip that'll happen right after the, uh, like, 1900, like in the 19-teens. Well, that's World War One mm. because our industrial process got shifted yeah. to making uh, arms. Yeah, military. Yeah. yeah. And then it, it pops back up, like, you know, within a couple of years at, to the same level. And then again, after, like, you know, a couple of years, you see it dip down again. That's World War Two, where, again, our industrial processes get shifted over to making mm. uh, military uh, equipment. And then, again, it spikes back up shortly thereafter. Well, and the body craves it, right? Then we want it and we need it and we just keep consuming it. And now it's in everything, right? It's even in our bread. It's in our it's in everything. Yeah. It's in your spaghetti sauce, man. Yeah. Well, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> 74% of processed uh, or packaged materials in the supermarket have sugar in it, uh. added, added sugar. Uh, that's sugar on top of what's already naturally occurring in those products. And so, I mean, it's something uh, that the food makers, they have a little bit of a hard time because they are public companies or publicly traded companies. They're trying to make a profit, and we're only going to eat so much. Um, and so trying to get us to eat more is, is something sure. that, you know, sugar it up, yeah, pops up their bottom line a little well, bit. Well, I remember so. my grandma crushing an aspirin for me when I was a little kid, crushing an aspirin and then putting sugar in it. And well, I'm like, I'll take that. Yeah. I'll take it every night. I didn't even need it. That's when I became addicted to aspirin. A spoonful of sugar helps the helps medicine. The medicine go down, I remember it vividly. It? Yeah. So, yeah. so then, then I guess is this is there then a correlation to diabetes? I mean, I'm assuming if we're taking in 30 times more sugar than we did processed refined sugars than we did 200 years ago, I'm assuming that's got to correlate to diabetes yeah. and other issues. It does yeah, weight I mean, gain. Yeah. And, 
if you overlay uh, uh, a graph of obesity on top of that sugar consumption, you can see like really around 1900, the percentage of people with diabetes was uh, around 10%, a little bit less. By the time you get to the 1960s, it's uh, up to around you know 12, 15%, and then if you go out, if you extend that out to 2000, there is an increase uh, up to around like 30, mid 30s, 34, mm. 35%. And so you can see a very distinct correlation with with obesity. And some of that has to do with sugar consumption itself. And then some of it is the type of sugar. And then some of it are other lifestyle factors that occur with the industrial revolution and, and some of the modern conveniences that we have. But So I'm sensing it, this is something we would call dysfunctional. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, induced dysfunction. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you know, let's take a break. I want to come back and talk about what we should be doing to to get more functionally healthy. Maybe eliminate some of this sugar, but also um, what else could we be doing to make sure that we're responsible for our own health, our own physical functioning? We'll do that. We'll get back, continue this discussion with Dr. Ron Hager, Dr. Rob Adams. Stick with us, folks. Doing what we can to help you live longer. One of the first keys, sugar. we got to watch out for it, folks. We'll come back, get more ideas, more tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us today and talking about how to how to create functional health in your own life, uh, Dr. Ron Hager is back with us. He's an associate professor of exercise sciences here at Brigham Young University and expert in chronic disease prevention. And on the front lines, Dr. Rob Adams is a, a, a physician in Demet, Texas, uh, also has a passion around uh, chronic disease prevention. And today they're teaching us about one thing is sugar, the, how, how sugar may be, you know, the Achilles heel for us today. You know, Matt, some, some physicians now, especially those that are doing research in this area and, and uh, you know, and other kinds of uh, researchers are actually saying that sugar is toxic. And, you yeah. know, and, and if you think about it, you might say, well, how can that possibly be? Because, you know, it's just a food. It's so but, natural. But, but you know what, Matt? Right. Anything is toxic if you get too much oh, of it. Oh, at that level, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. What, what were you going to say, Rob? I mean, I know one of the things that you as a physician, it, there's more than just fructose, which, um, but there's, there's glucose, there's dextrose, there's other types of sugars. Are, are they healthy? Do we need them? At what degree do we need them? How do we make decisions about our health when everything we eat has more sugar than we need in it? Yeah, and that's one of the things that going through the supermarket on a, uh, maybe I'll say functional level, um, it becomes challenging for a lot of us just to be able to uh, uh, implement. Um, I mean, there are a lot of different sugars, and glucose, fructose, ribose, lactose mm. uh, is, is actually like when you start t- 
sticking two sugars together. So there's monosaccharides, which is one sugar, and disaccharides, which is two sugar. And then if you stick a bunch of them together, that's when you start getting starch is how it oh, wow. plants yeah. store sugar. Or in our body, it's glycogen. And that's how we we store those sugars, and that's particularly pertaining to glucose. Um, and I've heard people say, you know, are there any um, essential sugars? Really, maybe no. Our body is able to, to get around going without sugar, and that's why you have some of those low-carbohydrate diets that, uh, you know, uh, people people have touted. Yeah. Uh, like one of the things understanding are how we absorb these things like is in how our our body goes about uh the the processes for for acquiring nutrients is, is something that you know we i tell people like our our body is really we think of it as we put something into our mouth and it enters into this black hole of our body and then it comes out the back end like 18 yeah. hours later you know <laughs> um but really, our body, it is more like a donut. Like, it has, it's, it's a pass-through system. We put things in our mouth and smash them up, and then they go into our stomach, which is really kind of a bag of acid and, and, and things like that, and muscles, and it gets smashed up a bit there, and then comes out as a paste and goes through, like, you know, depending on how big we are, 20, 30 feet of intestines. Hmm. And that's the extraction system where our body's trying to pull things from what we ate into the body and get it inside the organism because it never really goes inside the body except at a chemical level. Like right, that. right. Um, and, you know, that's the the type of processing that we need is really what happens in our mouth and what happens in our stomach instead of you know some of the the, the other processing that that happens but what we've done is we've taken sugar cane or wheat or corn or some of these other products and we have put them through industrial processes and we uh like for wheat we'll strip out the bran strip out the germ strip out hmm. um these components that are essential parts of the grain, and we make uh, things out of the carbohydrate that's left, which is really a bunch of long sugar, uh, long glucose molecules, or we uh, um, do that with sugar cane, and all that's left is, is uh, glucose molecules and, and some fructose, and we put those uh, on that we put them in our mouth and they go through that pass-through system and it hits the uh, system like in a way that it's never been hit before. It <laughs> yeah. spikes, spikes the blood sugar level. The insulin tries to follow that. Oh, and, and then, you're, yeah, then your yeah. body's chasing the demon. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, I mean, that spike in insulin actually causes the blood sugar to crash out uh, within an hour, hour and a half, and then we're uh, hungry again, trying to figure out, like, you know, uh, how to feed ourselves. And what we've done as a society is is really come to a point where sugar is something that uh, we've kind of focused on, and being able to extract from the the plants that we have sugar molecules to uh, put into food and make available for consumption. So they get 
into that system and 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 really hit it a bit uh, harder in a, in a way that hasn't been hit before and and we see how that's having uh, numerous health defect or health uh, implications I, I should say a little bit more correctly but so is this what you teach your your patients rob is the, i mean so we have the processed foods that are are basically eliminating a lot of the good nutrients that we need just to kind of maximize other benefits like i guess of the processed food that can last longer on the shelf but that might pass through us without any benefit um what can we do? We only have about three or four more minutes, three more minutes. What can we just do as an average consumer? What would you recommend um, we focus on? You know, there was a little hand uh, candy, uh, and I don't, I don't know if I should name it on the air, but um, uh, the, and the, the slogan for it was Taste the Rainbow. Oh, um, yeah. And I, I remember that growing it up. It rhymes with brittles, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like peanut brittles. Me gusta the peanut brittles. <laughs> now, anyway, we weren't supposed to name it, and we haven't, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but if anybody doesn't know. Um, but really, one of the, the – the first step that I tell people really – and this is my this is my message yesterday to to the mom is stop 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 drinking calories never drink a calorie milk is the only one that hasn't been shown to to increase body mass uh uh or uh set you up for for overweight and 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 diabetes but there's a number of people that are allergic to that and and the the jury is still a bit out on on milk itself but i tell people like really only water, only water, mm. and I, I say that to them about five times to the point where they're a little bit annoyed with me. This next thing, the next step, is go and eat a rainbow of foods. Like, oh, don't say that with brittles, because <laughs> <laughs> people are going to connect that to the rainbow. Taste the real rainbow. A that's, real rainbow. That, that's what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So eat a rainbow yeah. of colors of broccoli, corn. Yeah. Pe- Squash, bell peppers, peppers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Red cabbage, meat, <laughs> bananas, um, pears, yeah. all those, uh, all those things. And you can even do that with uh, try and find some of the potatoes that are colored. I yeah. remember I went uh, on uh, my church mission to Canada, and I remember they they gave me they sat in front of me like see some of these blue potatoes in one of the provinces, and I was like, oh man, these must have been sitting for <laughs> a long time. This doesn't look right. But there are there are potatoes in in some of the starches that are are colored, mm. and so really um, fruits, vegetables, some of those components, um, uh, those are the things. Uh, really, when we get sugar, uh, and it's a combination of glucose and fructose, when we consume those, it's like consuming a product. Um, and I, I did a bit of work like in construction with my dad growing up, and uh, we always liked finding concrete that didn't have rebar in it when oh, we yeah. had to break that stuff Then you up. could get busy, yeah. Yeah, all you, you hit it a couple times with a hammer, the thing breaks apart, and you just start throwing it out, fill the wheelbarrow. If that had rebar in it, you had to hit it. Too much work. It, and hit it and hit it. And, and that's really what happens is we put things in our mouth. Is there... Is there enough fiber, uh, rebar, uh, some of these phytonutrients, which is basically like plant nutrients, that is in that um, 
product, the, the food that we're eating, that slows down how the sugar hits our system. Yeah. Um, not only does it slow that down, but it also it has a tons of other um, antioxidants, nutrients, yeah. um, vitamins, minerals, things that our body needs. It it's, that, it's that more nutrient-rich that uh, uh, Ron Hager was talking about. We've got we to gotta go, guys, but we'll have you back and continue this discussion. That sounds great. Healthier, functional eating, folks. Watch the fiber. Make sure we have higher fiber in our diet. Don't drink your calories. Only water. And eat the rainbow. Not of brittles. We're not naming names. Eat the rainbow. Fresh vegetables of all colors, of all sorts. Health, man. It's ours. It's all we got. It's all we got. And uh, in the end, if we're not functional, we're the ones that pay. We'll take a break. Special appreciation to our good doctors, uh, Dr. Hager, Dr. Adams. Appreciate you both. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, we'll be talking to our buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Welcome back, everybody. Mm-hmm. It's the eye of the tiger. We're going to shoot it down to two tigers that just have got incredible eyes. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Guys, are you there? Come on. You're ignoring me. Quit ignoring me. We're ignoring you? No, I got you now. Now we can hear you. We couldn't hear you before. How are you? Good, how are you? Do you guys like this song? Of course. Does it remind you of the old, the old days? Rocky well, Balboa? What would, the, what would the old days be for us? I don't know. Uh, nine, or 2005. <laughs> 2005. <laughs> hey, here's uh, this music reminds me of a story that I had to tell you. Have you guys heard of the Italian Chess Tournament, International Chess Festival of Imperia? No. Well, guess what? Arc... Arc... Archangelo Ricciardi ranked 51,000th in the world. He was he was kicked out for cheating. What did he do? He's a cheater, referee Jean Cocoron said. Rococo? Yeah, Rococo. No, what he was doing is he had a medallion as he had some bling, okay? A bling medallion on his chest that had a camera in it. And he was filming his chess tournament and then in his armpit, I guess, a guy was sending him Morse code solutions for how to play the game. Hmm. And he started winning and kicking some, you know, chess behinds. It was intense. So how in the world did he get caught? Well, because he kept sticking his hand in his armpit oh. and blinking Morse code-ish, like, deciphering trying to decipher it and then they could they you know they just felt this weird vibration feel the vibration you guys feel a weird vibration anyway they caught him and this is what he said this is his answer because it's sad um you know when you're when you're 51 thousandth in the world you don't want to look stupid but he said um basically he says that they're just complaining because they were jealous of my blossoming talent i always knew of my potential i was never able to express it I've played for 30 years. It's a genuine passion. But only now, by the way, thanks to yoga, 
and self-training, I've managed to free my mind from tensions and emotions. Hmm. So the debate is still out. But he, they, people believe he was cheating using Morse code and bling. So, so he is denying it. Yeah, he's denying it. And he's saying yoga helped, you know. So I'm wondering, like, if somebody had a discipline issue on the field, what they ought to just say is people are just jealous, jealous of my blossoming talent. And, and I'm going to punch you in the groin. <laughs> I'm going to punch. Because that's, that's what happened. Yeah. And it's going unpunished. Well, and it was, and it was on video. Seems odd. That was on video. Yeah. Ron, this guy, this guy was hard to catch because he was using his armpit. It happens. You know, that's the news I bring you guys. I'm not sure how we can top that. Well, I yeah. know. I mean, I, I don't, you know what? Honestly, I wouldn't even try. We won't. Just, just, just give up. <laughs> just give up. Tell me what's going on in your world. Okay, let's see. I mean, I, I like your Twitter question. Let's move the king into position. Mm-hmm. And that is, no matter how you cut it, Matt Townsend, yes, sir. BYU is 2-0. and mm-hmm. Rising up. They have channeled their inner Eye of the Tiger. Yes, they have. Eye of the Cougar. Oop, there's that phlegm again. Whoop, <laughs> there it is. BYU 2-0. and Yeah. So with a freshman quarterback and everything that has transpired, mm-hmm. have your expectations changed at all? We should absolutely destroy UCLA. Oh my God. We done beat Nebraska. UCLA greater than both of those now you teams. Say, you, say we, that in, you say that in jest, I do, but Dr. People, Matt. But, but, people, but there are some people that think that. I know. I'm reading some of your tweets. It's pitiful. That's the problem. <laughs> we have to manage the expectations. I, it's fu- it, yes, and again, this is this is the same thing that we bring up all the time on the show: hope versus expectations. Yeah. Hope versus charity. See, versus this works. It's because we're a religious, faithful organization. We believe in hope. If we were another university that didn't have hope. We wouldn't have any expectations. I actually, I actually discuss this a lot based based on the religion, um, which is you know faith based. Yeah, um, absolutely. Hope. Well, we've charity, seen all those things. Okay. We've seen two miracles. <laughs> yes, we have. Um, miracles are not dead. No. Um, that not. we believe as a people that anything is possible. Yeah. Literally anything that I- that any right. situation is possible. Okay. Right. With that in mind, BYU fans feel. That a national championship is still attainable. I don't think that that is realistic for BYU. Now, could BYU one day make a New Year's Six Bowl? That would be fantastic. To me, getting into the playoff, I just don't see a situation where BYU could do it. Because BYU self-imposes recruiting restrictions. So you can't get the same type of athlete, right? Right. But you can still win a bunch of games and be ranked and be relevant. And that's fun. That's it. I think that's it. Most of the teams are striving for that. Most teams are not actually going to end up in the playoff. For example, UCLA has been to – they've won the Pac-12 or been to the Rose Bowl only once since, like, 94. That's Man, not very good. No. BYU has been none – has not been there because they're not in the Pac-12. Yeah. The point is, UCLA is really good. They've got a shot at to maybe make the playoff, and BYU could derail that a little bit. It's an interesting matchup because BYU is a good team as well. I don't know that BYU is actually the 19th best team in the country. They're ranked that. But let's have fun with it. Yeah. Let's, let's have BYU go in there, see if they can't play a really good game, 
force some turnovers, special teams do their thing, the offense roll, defense make enough plays, and maybe you win. See, that what everybody's overlooking is we have an ace in the hole. Which is? I call him the fist. Uh, he was just disciplined, kind of. Oh, <laughs> Ului Lapoaho? Yes, I couldn't pronounce his name. But okay. that's it. See, that's the fist. Do you remember, um, was it Maradona that had the hand of God? Yes. Where he scored the goal, but he really, God batted it. God batted the goal with his hand yeah, in God the goal. God had nothing to do with it. Uh, well, that's what... That's, God tends to... That's the folklore of, of the Argentine soccer, so football. So I'm just wondering, maybe, you know, we'll have something happen at UCLA. Who knows? That's you, why they play the game. Just play the game. Just play the game. And, and, and let's just give every... Let's cut everyone... Let's be realistic, folks. Let's be realistic. Cut everyone a break. Listen to BYU Sports Nation. What else do you need but Spencer and Jerem? Food, shelter. <laughs> and some food, shelter, sleep. clothes, sleep, family, love. That's about it. And the essentials kit includes BYU Sports Nation. Absolutely. Okay, guys, we'll have a great show. I know you got to go get prepped. Thank how do you, you, Dr. How Matt. How do you say that lineman's name again? Ului Lapuaho. Mm. You, you, say, you say it. It just flows off your tongue like butter. That's how I roll. It's incredible. I don't like butter. See what I did there? <laughs> butter. That's, that's how, how I roll. roll. Yeah. Oh, snap. Again. Yep. Okay, guys. Have a great show. <laughs> Thank you. Remember who you are. Good stuff. Man. Yeah, if you saw that BYU game, there was a pretty bad moment with that guy. He was mad. Well, you, you, he got landed on. I get it. You just don't punch people. Uh, speaking of scary moments... Did you hear about this, Ben? U.S. Forest Service has temporarily closed a northern Idaho hiking trail over concerns about an aggressive mountain goat. An aggressive mountain goat that bit one hiker and others. Reportedly, it tried to headbutt others and, and charge visitors. That's why I don't feed animals. It's a rogue goat. A billy goat. And they're dangerous. Have you ever had a goat after you? Has anybody ever got your goat? No to both of those questions. Has a goat ever got your goat? One time. But the the problem is the people have been feeding these goats. So now the goats have become aggressive and they're wanting food. So they have to go. They're trying to – they've closed down the trail and they're going to get the goats to get some other food sources that don't come from a, you know, Hershey's bar. Because the the caffeine's just jacking these these, these kids up, these baby goats up. We have goats high on caffeine. <laughs> yeah, it's totally true. The temporary closure is intended to allow time for the goats to find other sources of food and handouts provided by then the handouts provided by hikers and to reduce their willingness to approach humans. Boy, it's a big deal. You know what, by the way, if you are hiking and there are goats near you, be careful that you don't bring food that has salt in it because that's the goats are especially they have a hankering for the old salties. Mm. So I'm just saying, watch out if you're in Idaho. Hey, we always like to wrap up the show with a hero of the day. And man, we got a great one today. The hero is singer Rachel Platten. Uh, I believe is how you say her name. And she has a song that's called Fight Song. And uh, her, her, uh, uh, one of her fans, Jeremiah Sucker, 
is just seven years old and has already battled more and more trials in his life than most of us ever will in a lifetime. He has stage four atypical uh, uh, rhabdoid teratoid or big bad cancer, they call it. And this boy loves Rachel Platten's song, The Fight Song. It's his anthem. And so she came to his uh, hospital room and sat down with him and they sang the song together. Here's a taste of it. So Rachel flew out to visit this boy. As they sang together, her eyes were filled with tears. Her smile was endless as she played and sang with this young boy. She's rocking out with her little Jeremiah. And uh, if you go to hashtag Rachel Meet Jeremiah, you can see uh, more information about it. Uh, Rachel Platten, one of my heroes. My other hero, though, is uh, wonderful Jeremiah Sucker, seven-year-old boy battling cancer. It's amazing how healing it is. Just one song with your hero. And they sat down and rocked out. And when it was all over, he looked at her and he said, Can I just ask one question? Can I have your autograph? And uh, folks, that's the difference right there. Everybody, everybody here on this crazy big ball of mud. We're just trying to make it, aren't we? Anyway, we're out of here, folks. Two heroes right there. God bless you, Jeremiah Sucker and Rachel Platten, for bringing us a killer moment of being a human being. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more ideas to help you find the good in the world. Man, let's look out for each other, and let's carry each other along the way. Till tomorrow, take care and make it a great one. Yeah.